I'm going to invite the, the filthy five who are my ordinary heroes for today to come up. Actually, only three of them are here. We're hoping that all three are here. Jim was looking pretty nervous that he might be alone. Oh, here comes Mac too. Okay. And y'all are going to get the chairs. <laughs> Try not to be too distracted. Well, I set the stage for this. <laughs> this is from the book of Revelation, chapter 7, verse 9. After this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands, and they were shouting with a great roar, Salvation comes from our God, who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. And then, guys, would one of y'all get me a chair? We're good. And then this is a meditation um, for World Communion Sunday. It's from Kenya, I believe. Um, and so hear this now, because I think it fits great with what these guys are going to be telling us. Remember, um, this is a, a writer from Africa. If I really had faith the size of a mustard seed, what would I do? Would I wave a hand to hurl Mount Kilimanjaro into Lake Victoria just to prove that I could? If I really had mustard seed faith, what would I do? Would I start by extending a hand of peace to the church across the street whose sign says something different from mine? Would I start by extending a hand of peace to the old G that terrorizes the old people down the street? Or to the grizzled homeless man who sits on the corner with a sign? Would I start by extending my hand of peace to those who brawl in schoolyards and to those who brawl on battlefields in search of a future with hope? Maybe. I could begin by just taking my hand of peace out of its hiding place long before the moment that I cut my hands to receive communion. O oh Lord, increase our faith. I've invited these guys here because they just got back from extending the hand of peace to a world that's in need. And so what I thought I would like to do today is talk to them about it. Um, and I hope that as we hear their story, you would be inspired. Not everyone can go to Guatemala. But they did. They gave up a week of their time. They gave up their money to go there. They packed suitcases that were like 500 pounds, right, with all the tools. They worked long hours, and they went, and they went in our name. And I want you to know why they went, and I hope that their story would inspire you to do what you can, be it here, be it in Walla be it down in the valley, be it in the burned area, to do something that reflects the, the largeness of the kingdom of God. Okay, so begin, Mac, by telling me what you're wearing. This is very traditional Guatemalan, like a suit, I guess, or we saw a lot of the guys wearing it up and down through the flea market in the street, and I bought these, and I said, Jim, if I wear them the first service, will you wear them the second service? <laughs> <laughs> he agreed to that. You said, shoot, yeah, I'll do that, right? Yeah, I don't think that's happening. Now, but, ladies yeah. wear very colorful dresses, and uh, they still wear a lot of that. And very good. Well, tell me, um, and you can hand it around since we just have one. Um, one of you guys tell me what Guatemala is like. Well, Guatemala's a third-world country, and, and you'll see. I don't know some of the pictures. We well, have that's a, picture. a good picture right there, yeah. What's that um, picture of, Jim? That's their transportation system. <laughs> And uh, we counted one Toyota van, I think it was, that picked up the kids. As a, had three rows of seats. 
They put 26 kids in that van. So um, life safety codes in Guatemala are not quite the same as they are in this country. Um, transportation is a, a little more dangerous, and the electrical and the plumbing codes just don't exist. So it's a, it's a very different world from what we're used to here. And Dave, it was your first year to go, right? Is that right? Yes, I, I was the new kid. So what was your impression of the country, like seeing it with fresh eyes? These guys, y'all have been five years, right? This is our fifth year. Yeah, fifth, five years. So what was your impression seeing it for the first time? The, what the people, the lengths that the people went to to accomplish what they had to accomplish. Uh, when I go to work, I've got the convenience of a pickup truck and tool trailers and backhoes and everything else that I need. When, when a Guatemalan goes to work, he pushes a wheelbarrow down the side of the road. Mm -hmm. And when a Guatemalan woman goes to market, she carries everything on the top of her head. Now, I've been practicing with my chainsaw and my toolbox, carrying it on the top of my head all week, and, and it, it hasn't worked. <laughs> the, the one thing that impressed me the most was that uh, when they started the orphanage, they needed water, and they had a water well, and the water well was hand dug 330 feet deep uh, by an individual, and it was three feet in diameter, and they lowered him down off of a little tripod and a rope, and he would dig a bucket full of dirt, and they would raise it back up again, and they would lower it down, and at the end of the day, mm -hmm. uh, they would raise him back up. And Guatemala, uh, from the school, you can see several active volcanoes, and there are earthquakes there. And to me, it's just miraculous how this hand-dug 330-foot-deep well has survived for 10 years without yeah. any damage uh, at all. Wow, that is amazing. Um, so tell me, we started about how Pam and Steve, one of the first things they needed was water, but how did they, how did they get there? Does one of, of y'all want to say what, what led them there, how old they were? Well, yeah, we, we've who they are. talked to Stephen Penn about that. Of course, they went to, to school in the United States, went to Divinity School in Kentucky, um, but had friends who lived down there and made mission trips down there. And, and when they graduated, they just decided that was their calling. Um, and if you'd spend any time in Guatemala, you know that the children, in, in some cases, are almost like throwaway products. Kids that are abandoned, and, and there are kids that are in hospitals that, that need help. And so they just decided that was their calling. They're going to start an orphanage in Guatemala. There, there weren't, at that time, there were no government run and very few private orphanages. So there just weren't places for these kids. So that's what they've done for all these years. And how did they fund it? Mac, do you want to answer how they funded it? Because y'all told me an interesting story. Yeah, I think he received <coughs> a small inheritance from his dad, and they took off when they were about <coughs> 27, and I think they're right around 40 now. And they've made a commitment, and they have almost 25 kids they've personally adopted, and 150 that show up every day for a Christian school, and it's just grown every year, and it's amazing. And they've received private donations from a couple of churches, ours being one of them, uh, probably a few individuals, but it's just amazing that they made that commitment and have stuck with it 24-7 for this long. But at 27 years old, they, they decided that God was calling them to Guatemala, and they, 
Nobody said, hey, come down here. We've got a school. They started it. They went down and bought three and a half acres and started it. Yeah, and I, and I think Matt kind of glossed over it quickly, but, but imagine a young couple just married, graduating from college. They come into a very large inheritance from their family, and they decide, well, what am I going to do? Well, at that age, I know what I would have done. But what, the, right. what they decided was, we've been going to Guatemala. We're going to take this money, and we're going to start an orphanage. So that's pretty good call. That amazes me. Um, okay, so tell me what, um, Jim, I know you thought there were significant challenges to this work, so tell me what some of the challenges, I've, we've got some of your, or tell us about the projects, and then tell us about some of the challenges. Well, the, the, there are a lot of different groups that go down there, and in the, in the Big Creek men's group, we do construction projects, that's just what, what we do, and we fix things, and um, over the years, we've built a number of different things, I think, yeah, you, you can see there, uh, we get pretty dirty at the end of the day. Tell me how you got that name. Who gave you that name, the Filthy Five? So, well, we used to be called the Dirty Dozen. But, <laughs> <laughs> but this year we only had five people, so I think Steve said we're going to call you the Filthy Five because at the end of the day we get pretty dirty. There's, if, if you've seen that and you can see some of the pictures, it's a pretty difficult environment to work in. And again, there's just not any plumbing codes and they're hand-dug wells and electrical systems are pretty bad. So it's a challenge to when you're used to working in this country with the with the things that we have and the and the and the codes that we have. Every time I start an electrical project it's a it's a nightmare because you can't just fix what's broken. You've got to go all the way back for all the things that are dangerous to start with. That's a good example of a building. But um it, it's, yeah, it's a challenge uh, doing construction work there. And guys, this is, since we're on this, you showed me this, it, and I, then I looked at the picture, and the guy said, this is, a, this is a house, and then I looked at the picture, and it says store, actually, on it, tienda. Um, but is that a pretty good example of what a house would look like? Well, that's a very nice house. That's one of the better ones in, in, that, in that particular city, even though it's, we were marveling at how small it was, but yeah. but um, if, if you look at some of the pictures, uh, some of the houses, there's a good, you can see the wiring system is really nice, um, uh, so, and that's not unusual, that's, that's, that's what you see. So those are some of um, the challenges. Tell me about some of the kids and their helping. Dave, you want to tell me what the after hours projects you were, that you did with the kids? Well, being, being the new kid uh -huh. uh, there. Uh, when when we pulled up on the van, I thought we were going to have some time to rest and, and we could relax and we would get started the, the, the next day. When did you get in? Uh, we got in uh, early afternoon. Yeah. After a whole day, yes. early morning? Yep. Okay. And uh, we, we pull up into the parking lot and they said we're up three flights of steps. Well, no one told me that Guatemala is, that will send us about 6,000 feet in elevation. So I've got these heavy bags, and I can't figure out why. It, it's, it's, it's so hard, yeah, to get up there. And uh, after after they assign the new kid his uh, uh, his sleeping quarters, and and they they also assign me the SpongeBob sheets to put on the the, the bed. <laughs> um, they said, "Okay, let's get started." And they said, "All that lumber you saw down." down on the first level has to be hauled up to where you guys are going to be working. Wow. So uh, that, was a, that was a challenge. But the, 
as we were cutting lumber all day long, uh, and the little pieces were falling off, the, the one of this new kid's responsibility this year was to make things for the kids out of the small pieces of cut up lumber. Because it's not wasted, is it? Oh, no. No. And I don't know where they, I've never seen such a pile of scrap lumber turned into so many uh, appreciated items uh, for the children. And um, we make big rifles and small rifles and pistols and swords. The Texans. And, Here's some guns, and, kids. And, and for the, <laughs> sure. And, 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 and for the girls, we, we made, we cut out some dogs and cats and I flowers. I can see one and, up there, like yeah. a little cartoon face. Yeah. 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 And, and that's, that's fun. But uh, next year, uh, uh, I'm not going to be the new kid. Okay, and, and uh, one of these fine people might be right. Oh yeah, you're making them really want to go. Oh, <laughs> one of the things that the reason we can accomplish so much is Jim and Marty and Mac. They're working on next year already uh, with Steve on what projects we're going to do, and and it is just a tremendous effort. That, that goes into it prior to anybody showing up. So when we get there, all the, uh, most of the material that we needed is there, and everybody knows what to do. And, and it's, not, uh, it's not easy. Uh, it, it, it's hard work all day long, and that's how we, we got our name uh, at, at the end of the day. So how, how long of a day did y'all put in? We would work until 5.30, 6 o'clock, or, or whenever it was done. If, uh, but you A, slept in, right? Yeah, like I, ten. I was AE's helper while I was down there, <laughs> and when AE and I got completed, we would see uh, what Mac was doing or what Jim was doing, and then we would go help them. Mm -hmm. And we would all finish up. We finished when the work was done. Right. Uh, and then when the work was done, it was time to interact with the with the children. Uh huh. Either either making them something out of wood or uh, Mac in his endless stories that, that he, would, he would share with Tell us kids. about some of the, his, not his only did we adventures. arm the children, but we terrified them. Tell them about that, Mac. <laughs> okay, uh, there's Billy Bob the Cowboy story, the werewolf versus the flying monkeys. Johnny, give me back my liver. Uh, anyway, they're getting older and it's harder to scare them. But they, love the, they love the stories and they really love the Billy Bob which is a cowboy that has gold and diamonds, and he hides them in a cave and fights the werewolves and the Indians, and <laughs> he's good, they're bad. And, uh, and you, t you usually get away with telling these stories when Pam is not around, right? She kind of, some of the kids will stay up late after a round of stories, and uh, she's, she's a very protective mom. <laughs> <laughs> she hides our guns and knives after we leave. <laughs> And the, and the kids can't sleep for two days after Mac tells them all this story. <laughs> We're sharing the love of Christ. <laughs> um, Y'all, what? these kids are really special. Maybe we could see a picture of like A.E. and Victor. It, yeah, here. Um, Jim, would you tell how kids ended up at Lucinda? Like, why did Pam and Steve need to adopt them? Or you can even tell... Well, the, each one kind of has an individual story. Um, um, his story is pretty unique, in that, that, and I'm not sure that's, is that Victor or Steven, but um, 
um, he was in a hospital and, and uh, wasn't expected to live. The hospital didn't know what to do with him. Parents didn't want him, and, and so Stephen Pam took him home and, and cared for him, prayed for him, and, and he's, he's recovered and is, is in, you know, is a, is a nice, healthy student today. But some students come from uh, broken homes. Some have just been abandoned. Some actually, there's one uh, uh, young girl that we sponsor, and, and she was actually taken away by the court because of an abusive parent situation and, and awarded to them. So, so they've all got different stories, but it's just that in, in Guatemala, there's, there hasn't been a place for, for these unwanted children, and Stephen Pam have provided that. They had, I think at one point they had up to 60 children, but right now they have, is it 23? Does anybody know how many? It's, it's a lot less today because the laws have changed in Guatemala. So, and you told me that Victor, for example, when his parents found out how sick he was in the hospital, they left him. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Um, so, tell me. You told me about a bus. Let's look at the bus. What you learned about and Mac, were you, would you tell us what Raul said about? Um, yeah, s safety is just not the not the same in Guatemala. But <laughs> that's not an atypical bus, right? They take. That's they, very normal. Yeah, they take our old school buses and they soup them up and they go faster than a car. They have chrome and they're painted and they, they put as many people in there as they can get in there. And Raul informed us this time that like one's, one a week will just plunge off through the guardrail down the hill and kill everybody on board. And, yeah. and what was he telling you? Because uh, didn't you say why, does that, why is that allowed to happen? He, uh, <clears throat> life is not valued as much as it is here. Um, they're real, it's a poor country and they're very close, family close and uh, malnutrition is er predominant everywhere and they just don't value life like, as like we do because they lose it so much. They have earthquakes a lot there and mudslides. So I, t I told them that I'd tell y'all how I see God at work here. And so allow me to just say something um, really quick. Every culture that the gospel comes into. There will be wonderful things, and we've talked about how God leaves a witness in every culture, in every place, so you don't have to be in a church to find God, right? And we've talked about that. But the thing is, and I think we all realize this too, if we just think, there are things about our culture that are not in line with the gospel. In this culture, there are ways that because you're a Christian, you will be asked to live differently by God, right? One of the things that I believe, and I'm going to go down to Guatemala myself, and so maybe I'll have um, my own insight into this, but talking to these guys and hearing their story and talking to Pam and Steve, seems to me that one of the things that God would say to the children in Guatemala and a way that Christianity could be redemptive in this culture is to talk about how valuable one life is. The value that God puts on a life. That for God, it's not acceptable an acceptable loss that 30 people die every week in a bus accident. That's not okay with God, that our lives are more valuable than that. And these guys shared with me that that is what Pam and Steve, one of the things that they're teaching these kids, because imagine in a culture that doesn't have the same value of life, they are the ones who were left, who, I mean, in a culture where a life has less value, they had none. They were so worthless to their parents that they were abandoned when they were sick, when they were most in need. 
that they were beaten. And Pam and Steve come in and they say, you know what, no. You kids are so valuable and God loves you so much and don't listen to what the rest of this culture is saying because God loves you. And don't worry that your parents left you because we will never leave you and God will never leave you. And one of the ways I know that they're teaching them this is something that the guys told me is they said, um, the kids give devotions. And they said, Laura, the kids probably know more of the Bible than you do. <laughs> they probably do. But this was one of the devotions that the kids gave based on this scripture. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. And what I'd have us remember today is that these kids who have been lost sheep, who have been abandoned. Um, the lost sheep that Jesus is talking about, usually the ones that got lost were the orphans who, whose mother kicked them out, actually. The mother couldn't feed both, and so the orphan lamb was the one that got lost. And so when Jesus talks about going to look for the lost sheep, he's talking about the one who is the orphan. These orphans now know that God will come for them, that God loves them, and they know that because of Pam and Steve, and they know that because these guys here will go to them and build things for them and make toys for them and tell them stories about werewolves and cowboys. Now, you guys, do, do you have to be, this is my last question, do you have to be super holy or know a lot of the Bible or have gone to seminary to go do this? <coughs> nope. <laughs> <laughs> um. It's a really good experience. If anybody ever gets a chance to go, they should try to go down there. It's real rewarding. Like when I went his first time, he had ended up hooking up with Victor. And uh, it was pretty good. David. All of the children speak and understand English almost perfectly. Matter, matter of fact, uh, I was corrected several times on, <laughs> on, on, on the use of, of, of my English. Um, three of them wanted an ice cream cone one day, and they asked Steve if they could have a few pennies to go get an ice cream cone, and Steve said, why don't you earn the money? And so they climbed the, gu or the uh, guacamole tree. They avocado took, tree? Yeah, avocado. Yeah, <laughs> yeah avocado. Right. <laughs> Yeah. You named the thing that we most right. love that okay. comes from yeah, it, it's yes. The, right. The, they climbed the avocado trees and they picked a whole bunch of them and Steve took them to market. And they had ten times the money that they asked Steve for originally. And their decision was, you know what? We don't want an ice cream cone after all. Let's just save this money. Mm. And when our kids here, when we bless their backpacks, and we all stood and applauded as they walked back. Those children in Guatemala are just as much a part of our family as the children up here. And anybody that goes down there will feel the love and the compassion for those kids, the same love and compassion that we feel here. And we're all one family. 
And that's why it would be important for anybody that would want to go down there. Well, we're going to take them. It's neat that you mentioned that. We're going to try to take them chains, like the, the little tags, and bless their backpacks. But I'm thinking, wouldn't it be cool someday to get a video camera here and videotape all of us going, yay, kids, we love you. Wouldn't that be fun? We'll do that. Okay, we'll do that before the women go. Um, to close, and then we're going to take communion together. Um, Mac, just real quickly, would you tell me about that time you built the playground and how you were, what happened when you were leaving? Oh, that was two years ago in 2009, and we went down there and built them a playscape or a jungle gym, treehouse, swings, and I estimated the man hours and the material it, here it would have been over 40,000, so it was a super big playscape. That one up there. And... Uh, Anyway, we fit, every day we were working on it, and the kids were just all running between our legs. And at the end of the day, they were all climbing on the new part we had built that day. And uh, anyway, we finished it, and they really got into that because that was something for them. And the day we left was during school hours, and the 150 other kids were there, plus the 25, and they lined this long driveway. And y'all didn't know this, right? We did not know this, and A.E. was the new guy then. And he was riding in front seat, and we came around the little curve, and then there's a whole line with kids on both sides with signs and a clapping, and uh, boy, it just brought tears to our eyes, and A.E. was up in the front bawling so bad. <laughs> and he's been back ever since then, but it was really a special. We all felt like we were famous or something. <laughs> well, let's, um, let's close in prayer. I hope you all got a sense of how important it is to not just think about what we can do at home here or the needs at home, but to think larger. Jesus calls us not. Remember how he says, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea. That's Jerusalem's the capital. Judea's the country. In Samaria, Samaria's the place you don't like. We can talk about that later. And to the ends of the earth. And it's important that we not just be witnesses where we are comfortable, where we know how things go, where the electrical codes and everything works in the ways that we expect it to, it's important that we follow Jesus' call to the ends of the earth. Let's pray. God, we, um, I thank you for these filthy five men who gave up their week to bring your love and your reminder of your presence and our love as a church to those kids who are a part of our extended family. And I pray that you would watch over and bless Pam and Steve that you would watch over and bless their kids that they have adopted and given a home to and their school that is ministering to 150 of Guatemala's children. And I pray that you would help us as we remember the work that's done there um, to remember your great love, your love that calls a young couple to use their entire inheritance to build something that will offer hope to kids, a love that calls us to give up our vacation to serve you a love that calls us to change the world. Help us to be world-changing people, Lord. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.